1: Welcome back to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. The United States has less than 5% of the world's population, but almost 25% of the world's total prison population. In fact, a study by the Center for American Progress in 2015 shows that the United States is the world leader in incarceration and arrests, with about 2.3 million Americans in prison today. As a result, every year, hundreds of thousands of formerly incarcerated individuals re-enter their communities, hoping for a second chance. One of the most important factors to a successful reentry is finding employment, bringing needed income, structure, and purpose. Unfortunately, there are significant challenges formerly incarcerated individuals face finding employment, and up to 60% remain unemployed one year after being released from prison. In addition to job and workflow programs, entrepreneurship and small business ownership are proven paths towards employment and financial independence, and we'll talk about both of those today.
2: Today, we have two amazing guests. Katie Leonard has a passion for economic development, education, and housing. As a founding partner of 083, a business incubator that exists to promote the innovative potential of formerly incarcerated people... Katie works to spur creativity and innovation in an environment that is supportive to individuals searching for a second chance. Throughout her career, Katie has repeatedly recognized the need to incorporate public health outcomes into community planning and economic development frameworks. Her enthusiasm and experience in community outreach and engagement have allowed her to motivate and empower others to come together around community transformation issues. She's a board member of OR, an organization in Northern Virginia that works with persons involved in the criminal justice system and their families. Katie received her Bachelor's of Arts in Sociology and Master of Arts in Urban and Regional Planning from the University of Florida. She also earned a Master of Public Health from the University of South Florida. Ms. Leonard also holds a Certificate in Community Real Estate Development from the University of South Florida and is a Certified Urban Planner through the American Institute of Certified Planners. Welcome, Katie.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Marcus Bullock is a justice reform advocate, public speaker, and entrepreneur. Following his 2004 release from prison, he launched a painting company and is now CEO of Perspectives Premier Contractors, which employs other returning citizens. Bullock is founder and CEO of Flickshop, a free app that enables incarcerated people to receive mail and postcards and the Flick Shop School of Business, a program that teaches incarcerated youth life skills and entrepreneurship. He is a member of the Justice Policy Institute's board of directors and a re-entry coordinator for Free Minds Book Club and Writers Workshop. Married with two children, Bullock Story has received coverage from CNN and the Washington Business Journal.
4: Marcus and Katie, welcome to the show. There is so much for us to discuss. We gave a brief introduction of your awesomeness, but now we'll like to get into more detail on your businesses. Marcus, let's start with you. You spent eight years in prison. When you were released in 2004, you worked for a bit before actually starting your first company, a building remodeling company. So entrepreneurship was part of your DNA. Tell us more about your entrepreneur journey how did it go from being incarcerated to owning a building remodeling company, then to launching Flick Shop?
5: Uh, th- you know, Thank you guys again for having me on the show. Uh, this is uh, such an awesome, awesome opportunity, so I'm really grateful for it. Uh, you know what? It, it, it's been a fun journey uh, going from those days of going from a prison sale to uh, a uh, remodeling front firms to now having a tech business that is you know having a real impact on the rest of our country and it has a really big social mission. It's, just, it's been an awesome journey. I tell you it hasn't been a, it hasn't been an easy one, uh, but when coming you know when coming home from prison, trying to find a job, finally 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 one at a paint store, getting a job there, but then seeing the opportunity to be able to become our own entrepreneur, leading that job at a paint store, to start a painting business that turned into a construction company. That was probably, like, the hardest part of the journey, right? Like, learning what the entrepreneurial process looked like. But then, you know, Flick Shop was just an accident. It was like, I really wanted to be able to have a way to be able to text my boys that were in prison because I knew that I wasn't going to have the time to write a letter or print a photo, um, and I knew that there had of be another family to have that same issue, and so we built a solution for it.
2: Talk a little about, about Flick Shop, what it does, and how you saw that need and what you did there.
5: Yeah, so I, mean, I grew up in a prison cell. Right? I mean, I was 15 years old when I first, you know, when I when I went to prison, and I was in the in eight years inside of these adult maximum security facilities. And the reality of it is, is that in prison, mail is the only thing that keeps you connected back to the outside world. Like getting mail every day. I'm quoted by saying this often, right? Getting mail in prison is like hitting the lottery. It's like hitting the powerball every time your name is called because the reality of it is the majority of the people inside those fields, they don't have a loved one that's willing to make that sacrifice of sitting down, writing a letter, printing a photo, putting a stamp on it, walking it down to the post office, putting it an in the box, and hoping that their love can be shared through that, through that message. Um, we wanted to be able to find an easier way to make that happen because we knew how important mail was there. I, it was big for me when I was in prison. And, and I, I just wanted to come up with a solution that allowed our users to, you know, have the same benefit I had of having a mom who sits off, you know, love often um, with the Goals North life.
4: How many people have you connected with, uh, with FlickShop?
5: Uh, so, it's been a, a great journey. So, so far, we've onboarded um, a little over 180,000 users. Uh, we shipped almost a half a million FlickShops. Um, to date, and uh, we're actually in every state in the country in, in their penal system, so um, big, big, huge opportunity and great solution for a ton of families.
2: So explain for our listeners exactly what Flick Shop is. So obviously it's mail that goes to folks who are in incarcerated, um, but explain it a little bit. I mean, I think what you had said is it's kind of like Instagram, um, but it's available for folks who are incarcerated, right? I mean, it's the... It's the equivalent, if you will.
5: Yeah, so the way that our mobile app works, um, it's a free app to download in the iOS and Android stores. Um, our app allows our users to be able to take a picture. And some Quick Text. Press send. And for $0.99, cents, we take that picture and text, print it on a real tangible postcard, and send it to any person in any youth detention center, jail, prison, or immigration facility. Um so we're the guys who keep the family members connected during the time of their lives when while they're typically posting on Facebook and Instagram, they need to be they need a way to share those moments with their loved ones. That's these sales. And so we wanted to be able to make sure that we gave them the opportunity to be able to do that.
2: That's wonderful. Thanks yeah. for explaining that a little bit more fully. And immigration and immigration attention centers as well. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, And, and Marcus, you know, it's interesting to hear you say it kind of happened by accident and you're, you know, touching 180,000 people. Um, So that's your FlickShop app, but you also have FlickShop for Business, right, where you are are actually training uh, formerly incarcerated individuals in business. Can you talk a little bit about that?
5: Sure. So the FlickShop School of Business... Um, it, it was an interesting discovery for us because while I would go around the country and give these talks on so we did a TED talk and you know, I'm a speaker and a, a scholar at the Action Institute or, you know, giving speakers, you know, giving a keynote at South by Southwest and having these opportunities to be able to speak to huge audiences about the, the, the obstacles uh, and barriers for people that are coming home from prison. Um, that was great for me. But it was even cooler to be able to take those same conversations and bring it back into the prison cells. Because this is a place where most of the men and women aren't privy to have these kinds of, kind of conversations like the ones that we're having today. And so if we can begin to instill a sense of hope um, inside of one of the you know, the, one of the places that are surrounded by despair, then we believe that we can kind of, sort of begin to train our brains inside of those cells to know that it's like after prison. And so what we did was we took that story of my success and some of my other executive members because all of them, all of our executive partners have, have done time in prison. And so we take the stories of their success and we build it into a curriculum. We bring it back into these uh, prison cells. We call it the Introduction to Entrepreneurship. It's a three-week class that allows our, our participants to learn from our, our mistakes and our hurdles so they can be prepared when they come home. For end re- you know, as we contribute to the reentry space, and then once they come home, they've now completed a prerequisite to enrollment our four-month coding and mobile app, uh, mobile application development uh, course, uh, and that's uh, a, it's really it's designed to be a boot camp course that brings our students in that are fresh off from prison, understanding what life skills need, life skills need to be gained what resume writing needs to look like, what mock interviews are going to feel like. And then we introduce them to technologies that allow them to be able to penetrate one of the spaces where it doesn't care whether or not you have an F on your chest that stands for felony when you're going to go look for a job. And that's in the tech spaces. If we can build a legion of people who can write code and who can solve problems with technology, we don't really care about the felonies that, have, that they have. And maybe we can solve a huge problem with that, uh, that, that career gap as well. Uh, once they come home. So we're keeping the families connected with the technology while they're there, and then when they come home, we want to be able to provide a pathway to stronger employment once, they, once they're ready.
4: Marcus, I did see uh, your TED Talk, and one thing I loved about it is that you mentioned three lifelines, and it's a theme throughout your life and also in your business. And um, do you want to talk about it, how you, you, know, you must stay connected to your friends and family and so, and so forth, how that is playing in your life and also in your businesses?
5: Yeah, so, you know, the, the three things that we believe in, one, if you can figure out a way to stay connected to your friends and family, that's either the inside of the prisons or out, right? Because we understand that the majority of the support that's going to come from our success our success path are going to come from the people who love us unconditionally. So if we can figure out a way to stay there and stay in, in, in those, those graces of love and adoration for one another, then we're already prepped and trying to get to the next phase where we're looking for mentorship the mentorship that allows you to be able to really propel and accelerate your career. I think it was important for me. It continues to be important for me. And there's so many people who want to contribute to our lives. As long as we separate ourselves from the noise, separate yourself from the noise, gain a mentor that wants to be able to help push you. And then also to allow those same groups of people to push you to be great. If we push all of our communities to be, be great, We have a community full of people who love one another because of family and friendly connections that they have um, with one another, whether or not they're coming home from prison or otherwise. We have mentorships, so they're helping other people. They're helping to guide um, a lot of our decision-making, especially in entrepreneurship. And then we're all pushing out one another to be be the best best us. We can push ourselves to be the best selves that we can be then we believe that we can create a community, an ecosystem, if you will, around, you know, that incubated group of people who now are going to be primed, prepped, and ready to go um, as soon as they hit the bricks uh, after, you know, after they get the released in those hands. So we're excited about it.
2: We're going to talk about your participation in Techstars in just a minute, but let's talk about your starting of the Perspectives company because um, that kind of work might be, I mean, you said that was really the hard part for you, is starting that business and getting that going. Tell us a little bit about that part of your journey.
5: Uh, So, perspective was interesting. Uh, So, uh, you know, I'm I'm fresh out of a prison cell. I have no idea. I'm like 23 years old. Um, You know, I can't really even explain why I've been, you know, for almost the last decade of my life. I have very, very little um, experience and training, you know, when it comes to applying for employment. I don't really know how to navigate through a lot of the social, um, the, the social environments that I'm putting myself in at work and now to think about going into this entrepreneurial journey. I really don't know how to articulate myself well enough that I think that I can well enough to be able to uh, go out and venture and, and do, you know, create a, a you know, let a, a sales strategy, let alone um, a figure out a way to be able to, you know, make revenue, generate revenue from a business. All of these things were barriers that I didn't even know existed. I probably wasn't smart enough to know that they existed. So, you know, I just literally jumped out the window without the parachute. And as I continued to build that parachute, as I almost fell down, you know, face flat to the floor, there were a bunch of life lessons I had to learn. I had to learn patience. Again, I had to learn how to quiet the noise around me and not compare my business to other businesses so that I become blinded by my own success measurements, right? I had to learn how to be able to attach myself to the right mentors so that we can begin to really grow and build and scale something. And then the biggest one of them all, I had to figure out a way to get money from somewhere, right? I had to work like crazy at my nine to five job that only paid me 12 bucks an hour to be able to live inside of one of the most expensive cities in the world. So, all of these things combined, there are a lot of pressures on you. And then the, the pressures of people, you know, everyone looking at me, including my family and friends, like, Marcus, you're home now. You talk about wanting to be successful. You said that you were going to do this. You said that you were going to do that. How are you going to be able to make this happen? And, and mind you, this is post a, a, an environment of Internet now, right? Because when I went to prison, there was no Internet. So now I'm coming home, and I'm like, oh, my God, who even know how to work a touch screen, let alone the Internet? So these were all big barriers that we want to be able to help annihilate for a lot of the men and women that are coming home so that they won't have the same hurdles that we had to jump through, especially if they think about pursuing the journey of of entrepreneurship.
2: That's great. Let's let's talk about your um, participation in Techstars. So you just completed a cohort or about to complete with a cohort of Techstars. First of all, congratulations for being selected into that program. It speaks a (laughs) lot about your model and growth potential. Um, what did the accelerator offer you that you haven't already experienced as an entrepreneur and what what kind of support did you receive there
5: you know um, so uh, we're, you know we're wrapping up the end of our uh, techSo program next month and um, while we're a little over halfway through the program um, it's been an incredible journey we've learned so much about not only our business but about ourselves what it's going to take in order to be able to really continue to build a thriving big business. And what did that what does big business look like? What is the cadence around um, you know, the 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 executive staff? What are some of the disciplines that you need to adopt in order to be able to be successful? How are we thinking about raising money and what does that do to our financial models, our revenue models? What are we doing about staffing? How are we thinking about our technical talent? Like these are all questions that we really didn't even know that we needed to ask ourselves before the accelerator. Post tech stars, now we're Armed and ready to go, we're ready to fight. You know, continue to fight this entrepreneurial journey with you know a little bit more ammunition that we believe is going to be and contribute to a uh, a big contributor So what we know, is success is already turning out to be a right Now, we were already we already had a bunch of traction before we entered into the program, um, but now you know armed with the, some of the best mentors in the world, access to some of the you know the most you know, prestigious investors in the world, and then obviously having the programming around what it is that we're doing that gives us the structure that we didn't even realize that we needed in order to be able to begin to scale our business with uh, you know I mean it was paramount to what I know we're going to become in the years, you know yes to be awesome experience
1: Marcus thanks for for sharing that so so Katie we want to turn to you and just kind of listening to Marcus you know he's the <clears throat> Avatar of the person that you, your your uh, company is going to actually support. You know, he talked about acclimating to technology, connecting with friends, deciding you know um, you know the right mentors. And so you've been involved in the reentry space for a while, and you've also done amazing work with economic development initiatives, particularly when it comes to providing opportunities to income, as well as just really figuring out health equity amongst the community. So tell us a little bit about your journey, your entrepreneur journey. Uh, and what you're looking to do with 083? Well,
3: thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, actually, my reentry journey has not been that long. I mean, I my background is community development, so urban planning and public health, and primarily working with disenfranchised, distressed communities, and understanding that there are large amounts of people there that have barriers to employment, such as criminal histories, and how that impacts the opportunity to jobs to you know, business development, to just your tax base in general. And so I had that understanding and just started volunteering with OAR in Fairfax County in Northern Virginia and teaching workforce skills in the detention centers. That was really my first in, in the reentry and criminal justice space. And, you know, teaching male inmates about how to communicate and, you know, what, is, what do you have to do when you get the job? How should you prepare for the job? But really, understanding that they could have taught that class, right? I asked them all the time, "Do did, how many of you had a job before you, you know, came here?" And a lot of them all raised their hands. And so it's not that they didn't know how to obtain a job or to hold a job and have employment, but there was just a lack of opportunity that you know put them in the position that they are in, or poor decision making. And so having that framework and that understanding that. The detention center, you know, in Fairfax County is not, they're seeing a lot of the same people over and over again. And a lot of the guys that I talk to are saying, you know, this isn't my first time here, or last time I was here, you know, this and this and this happened, or I took this program. And so I I think it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I love teaching in that context. I've never, I'm not a teacher, and you know, I don't think people would want me in their school systems teaching their children. Um, Because I sometimes get excited and cuss. But (laughs) I think that, um, you know, I was patting myself on the back and thinking I'm doing this great thing and we have a good time in class and I'm giving them the skills that they need. But there's still a a lack of opportunity when they walked out of those doors. And regardless of if I told them how to communicate or how to engage with their employer or how to go to networking events, they still wouldn't be able to get to that next step in employment. So I really challenged myself and began looking at you know re-entry in in a truly economic development context and with the understanding that our tax base and our tax revenue is really what drives what's available in our communities whether that's police fire your community centers your after-school activities your recreation department all of that is you know paid for by tax revenue and so when you have a disinvested community and you have areas where there's no tax base and there's no money to pull from, then your opportunity is really limited in those communities. And so I remember in grad school in University of Florida learning about tech incubators and how a lot of um, governments will partner with you know private sector to bolster their economic development through tech. And so I googled like (laughs) business incubator because i not even tech incubator but business incubator because i knew that people with criminal histories typically have to go into business for themselves like marcus said earlier Mm -hmm. and so in doing that 068 in pittsburgh was the very Mm -hmm. first thing that popped up and because i'm a lazy googler i clicked the first link that was right there and so just kind of like well really started stalking everything Mm -hmm. that 068 was about and daniel bull the founder how he, you know, came about and what it looked like and what business incubation meant in Pittsburgh. And so I just started asking people in, you know, this area in the DMV, like, what does this look like? Is there a need here? Um, is this something that would be well received? How do you do business incubation? I mean, it's, you know, in theory it seems pretty simple, but when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it can be pretty complex. And so I spent probably six months just asking people how do I do this? Who do I need to be talking to? Who are the key players? And it led me to people like Christina and even Marcus to kind of share where I wanted to go and what I was trying to do.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I um, texted you that picture. So we we had a whiteboard session probably a year ago, maybe yeah. not even that long ago. Um, where you first introduced the concept and since then you've just taken off and and I want to just highlight the fact that Google was your first mentor (laughs) in this whole process and so it can be done right it's it's really having that desire reaching out to other people and you know understanding that landscape so I applaud you on that.
3: Katie what is zero eight three? So 083 is really an identification code, and it's based on the federal system. So if you're federally indicted in the Eastern District of Virginia, your court case, and if you serve time, your resulting inmate number would end in 083. So 068 in Pittsburgh in the Western District of Pennsylvania, your last three digits end in 068.
1: Um, Talk to us a little bit more, though, just about how you... you I want to talk about the um, the incubator that you're partnering with, because mm-hmm. I think that's an amazing story in and of itself. Can you talk to us a little bit more about how you got them to say yes?
3: Yeah, so I did my due diligence here locally, and then I ended up reaching out to my economic development professor, and I he gave me like a book in tidbits of what I could do and how business incubation worked, more for the public-private side, but, you know, it was great, And so he was very supportive and encouraging and said, Katie, this is an amazing idea. I wanna support you any way that I can, but don't call me back until you reach out to the guy in Pittsburgh. And I was like, okay, maybe that's a wrap because that was super intimidating, right? You have somebody who's in the space, they're doing it every single day. And so he gave me a script. Like, you say this, you ask about partnerships, ask about funding and how it was developed. And so I reached out to Dan on LinkedIn and um, basically put my script in text. Like, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. That wasn't scripted, but I'm a big fan of your work and I'm really just curious into how you got started and if I could have like a few minutes of your time just for a phone call, that would be great. And so we ended up connecting on the phone and it just so happened that they were looking at expanding their model. So at the time, Dan and 068, they had been in business for about three years and we're looking for the right ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know, to to launch or to expand their model. And so we kind of just started talking and vetting each other mm-hmm. for the most part and found out that we're very very similar but very complementary in terms of skill sets. His background is in construction and mechanical engineering and venture capital. My background is in community development and public health. And so combining those two together, we've really been able to, you know, make the model more meaningful and hopefully be able to replicate that in other cities throughout the country. Yeah, that's awesome.
2: Well, so let's talk about your vision for 083 and how that plays into economic development more broadly, right? Because that mm-hmm. is really your passion and seeing how this is um, has the potential to really change communities. You were talking about that a little bit earlier.
3: Yeah, so my vision is always massive, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a small-time thinker, but the vision is just opportunity, and so with the incubator, we really are looking at a full spectrum of opportunities. So whether we are launching entrepreneurs and you know helping their businesses scale and grow, and then hire other people with criminal histories to work within those companies, or we're you know working with nonprofit partners to be that that light at the end of the tunnel, right? So a lot of people can go around to different training programs or. You know, like Marcus has a great boot camp with the Flick Shop School of Business. So, what's that next step for that entrepreneur, that person seeking a job? And so, aligning ourselves with all of the great nonprofits who are already in this space doing really great work. Um, and then, even looking at staffing. And mm-hmm. so, because we are a you know a friendly place of criminal histories that what they found in Pittsburgh is they had a lot of people applying for jobs so they only had so many jobs and so they developed a staffing company to you know get people employed because at the end of the day for us it's about economic opportunity and it's about jobs and so whether those jobs are within our portfolio companies or not we want people to have that opportunity to be upwardly mobile to have an income where they can you know be their own game-changer in their community or in their family so it uh in that sense, you know, and what we're doing in terms of economic opportunity, in terms of community development, I mean that's huge, right? You give people an income, they then can, you know, better have security for housing payments or even be able to look for housing. Um it just trickles down. And in terms of um like the public health context and what I kind of that lens that I use is income is your biggest indicator of your health outcomes. So if you tell me any neighborhoods per capita income, I can probably tell you what the health outcomes are of that community, right? So income is directly correlated to your access to care, health insurance, the quality of care you can receive, the air that you breathe, the social fabric of your community, it all plays a very important role. And so income is power. And so if we can empower people by giving them that tool and allowing them to stay in their communities, not be displaced, Um, that's really how we see we can really change lives and change communities.
2: So that's the big vision, which is great. I love it. But what can you expect? Like, what can people expect from your incubator? I mean, incubators do different things in different places. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things is this incubator going to do in particular?
3: So incubators are, you know, we are a traditional incubator in that we're, one, providing the space and providing that environment for people to be successful with growing their business or launching their business as well. Um, also helping the entrepreneur and giving the entrepreneurs the resources and access to capital or networks and you know, helping them expand in that way. Um, but the, the, the main thing is that we are open to people with criminal histories, right? So we are really about hiring the most qualified person that just so happens to have a criminal history or that just so happens to have some other barrier to employment. And so that really opens up a whole separate door and talent pool because you have engineers and attorneys and teachers and very highly educated, smart, talented people that have made a poor decision, they've served their time, and they can never... Take that skill set back into the industry that they once were in, and so we leverage that, right? We put that back into communities. It's not just wasted talent or a wasted, you know, person's opportunity. And so, using that as well as providing, you know, on-the-job training for people that may not have that skill set or didn't have that opportunity for, you know, to be industry-specific. Um, so having that whole pipeline of people that maybe have never had a real job before to the person who's been in the industry, wants to launch a business, and just hasn't had the network or the resources to be able to do that, that's what they get from 083.
4: I'm curious because, um, as Aurelia mentioned in our previous conversations, that you know, we both have family members who have been incarcerated and now they're out. And how can they find out about these, these, this type of program? And, you know, how, you know, is a word of mouth? Is it, is it just what, what you did? You did a Google search. I mean, yeah. how can we get the word out? about?
3: I this? think it's both. I mean, clearly social media is huge right now. And I probably mm. am not the best person <laughs> to talk about, you know, being great on social media, but the word of mouth piece is huge. I mean, people hear about the opportunity if there's, hey, there's this group that's really, you know, they're open to people that have criminal histories. They're not going to you know shut you down the second they see that check mm-hmm. or they're not going to shut you down the second that that background come that background check comes through. And so regardless of whether it's 083 or it's what Marcus is doing with Flick Shop, I mean the word of mouth is huge mm-hmm. and the other, you know, great thing right now is that we're we're in a in a point in time where it's becoming kind of mainstream in conversation, right? The reentry stories and people love the success stories and they love Wanting to help, or that hope I pulled myself up by the bootstraps, you know, story is really powerful. And so, I think it's it's a combination of things to get the word out um, here locally. Like I said, I'm really working with a lot of our nonprofit partners who are in this space, really looking at empowerment and opportunity programs, boot camps, um, working with different local governments and different people who are already in this space because it's it's not about, to me, it's not about competition because there are more than enough people out there, right? Mm-hmm. If all of you wanted to launch incubators tomorrow, I would fully support you because there are more than enough people out there that have, have a need to need to be great, right? And they just need the resource to be able to do that. And so I think that you know, in this area, we're very fortunate that we have policymakers here, we have very well-intentioned people here in progressive mindsets that are willing to at least hear the conversation. And then also the the access to capital and the resources especially when you look at like impact investing and what's Mm -hmm. available there to do this type of work
1: yeah so so let's let's talk about the barriers a little bit more because i think that's a great question um so you talked about the power of gainful employment um you talked about the ecosystem which i think is critical and how you're approaching it Um, but there's some real barriers there's some employers who will not hire folks who have a criminal history so can you talk a little bit about what some of those barriers are both for men and women Mm -hmm. and kind of just what you've witnessed in your process
3: yeah so i i'll start for what i've witnessed Mm -hmm. first because i can't speak to too much on the other Mm -hmm. side i haven't experienced that but our biggest barrier has been finding space and so Mm -hmm. dan and i were talking yesterday and we were laughing because i've been trying to look for space for Close to seven months now, and I've been flat out rejected or redirected because of the group that I'm bringing to the space. And you know, Dan was like, because I, people have a bias against right, the population. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and so they don't flat out say that. Right. I mean, there are code words that, mm-hmm. that are, you know, used and said, and I get it. You know, we've been socialized to think a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand it. And, but the, the fact of the matter is that this was not something that I was anticipating being a huge hurdle this early on. Mm-hmm. And one, you know, I'm looking for warehouse and industrial space because I want to have the flexibility of use. And so in terms of um, business and startup communities, you know, zoning can mm-hmm. be one of your major either successes or barriers when it comes to launching your business. So zoning will tell you what you can do and where. And if you're in a space you know you have opportunities for for rezoning but that requires neighborhood input Mm -hmm. and public comment and we just weren't at a place i didn't feel comfortable with looking to rezone a a space because one it's expensive but two i haven't branded myself yet to have that credibility so people will be fearful if i come in and say this is the group of people that were you know bringing here as wrong as it is um people will have that bias Mm -hmm. up front and so i've had to you know, be very intentional about not doing that right away because I want to get, get, get into a space that's kind of off people's radars, but like show up and show out, mm-hmm. right? And just show what this group of people can do and the opportunity that's there and how people may be discrediting or you know pushing aside somebody that has such great potential or right. that can really be a game changer in their business or in their community. And so that has been my biggest barrier. I mean, and I wanted, to, I wanted to give up at one point. And I had like six rejections, you guys. I mean, this wasn't really that, that serious. And my lesson in that was that I wanted to quit after just a few times of being told no. Imagine, you know, when you fill out the housing application mm-hmm. and then you go to fill out the job application. You do that every single day. Um, that really became my my better understanding of the group that I'm trying to serve and trying to empower to say that, okay, I get it. You experience this on a much higher scale and this Mm -hmm. is why this work is so important.
4: You know, that that bothers me. So I'm gonna jump in here because I feel as if now at this point, you you need press. You need to get press to talk about your story and even talk about your barriers, especially with the Mm -hmm. zoning piece. And I think if more people heard this story, I think they would be more interested in allowing you to have that space.
3: Yeah, in the the zoning itself, so Fairfax County is where I'm looking at space right now. They've been great. So, where I, I mm-hmm. met Christina through their Office of Public and Private Partnership, and that office is solely focused on bringing together business, government, and um, the nonprofit That's great. sector. That's good to hear. And I mean, they have a, a planner who is in their planning office, who's their small business expert and Mm -hmm. so she's been very helpful in saying hey let's get the language right let's do this right so that way one you can be a model for other people Mm -hmm. we can you know use this and replicate this but um we don't want to be the barrier for you and so that's been very powerful but that's the public sector and Mm -hmm. so the landowners and the you know the landlords are who make that final decision and so when you factor in you know this is they think they view it as a startup even though i have a partner company and you know i'm able to use their financials and their successes it's still risky and so you add a lot of these different layers on top of each other you know it it just makes it more difficult so that's kind of where we're at
2: so let me ask a couple questions here so it's interesting cuz within the um ecosystem that we're often talking about right folks who are looking for vc and angel funding um an incubator in and of itself is a very elite place, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people don't get into incubators. It's mm-hmm. very competitive to get into incubators. It may be a really difficult thing, right? We were talking with Marcus about how impressive it was that he was chosen as part of one of the cohorts of tech stars. It sounds like, though, that you're going to be flipping that on its head a little bit in the con- construct of your incubator. And you're not just going to be in the tech space. Of course, you're you're opening the business incubator up to people in different industries. But tell us how you're going to be different, maybe, than what yeah. we think of as what an incubator might look like.
3: Absolutely. So the one thing is you don't have to have a criminal history to launch a business with 083 or any of, you know, 068 but you have to be willing to hire them. And you have to be willing to hire people and pay them a living wage. And what we're looking at in this area living wage is $17 an hour. And so that right off the bat has to be in your strategy and your business plan. But the thing that I've been saying is we're kind of a build it as we go maker space, right? So I'm not putting everything in the incubator and say, if you build it, they will come. But as people show up and come to the table and have needs that you know, they need fulfilled to expand their business or launch their business, we'll look into providing that for them. And so looking right now, um, there's a group, a nonprofit in the city of Alexandria called Together We Bake, and looking at, you know, if they're in need of kitchen space or production storage space, you know, how could we provide something like that to them and then use that commercial kitchen to then help other community members and so it's not just this one-off thing it's very you know high impact very sustainable and the same thing for whatever you know whatever other entity or group would come to the table so I keep using the example of a 3D printer but they're really expensive so I'm hoping (laughs) that that's not like the very next (laughs) person that comes to the table but if somebody were to come and say this is what I need we would look into one you know vetting them vetting their business plan and making sure that it makes sense making sure that they're Business is scalable in a way that they can then hire other people with criminal histories or barriers to employment, and then using that asset to then be an, an asset to the community and to, like I said, leverage that and maximize that use. And so our space is different in that context, in that we're primarily focused on being inclusive to those people who otherwise wouldn't have access mm-hmm. or be able to get their foot in the door in other incubators.
1: And you're almost a community um, catalyst, right? So you talk about together we bake, and if you partner, right, that's my one of my favorite things, it's a, it's a mutual ben- benefit, right? And so I think there's so many more things that, that you can do. I've, I've got an idea, too, for the 3D, so I'll talk to you. Oh, offline. nice. <laughs> 3D printing, Let me which go is... like, find
3: some money real quick <laughs> before we have that conversation. Uh, actually,
1: I think this company might be interested in maybe doing, like, an apprenticeship uh, program. Okay. Um, because it's such a growing area. But uh, on the partnership, what are some other ideal partnerships that you would like locally and then nationally?
3: Locally, I'm really looking for the partners that can create that pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. Like I want the best of the best. I want the highly trained, like people that have grit and determination and are ready to get out there and like knock it out of the park. Mm -hmm. Like those are the people that I want. And I was talking to, there's another group in The city of Alexandria called Friends a Guest House. And so they're one of the only female transitional housing um, places in Virginia. And so I was talking to them and I was saying, you know, I can't just take everybody. I would love to take everybody, but I want to work with you and work with your clients to show you what I'm really looking for. And you may not be, you know, a client may not be there right now, but we have so many people in this space and doing this type of work and workforce skills, job readiness, empowerment, um, all of those strategies that, that they'll get there eventually mm-hmm. if they really want to. And so you know, working with partners to, like I said, have that pipeline of people. If they have entrepreneurs, we can work with the entrepreneurs. Or if they have people that are just looking for a job, right, I just need to eat, I have to pay my bills every day. Working, getting those people, placing them with partner businesses or employing them with one of our portfolio companies. So it's really just like this mutually beneficial atmosphere and environment.
1: That's good. So, so you mentioned funding, uh, which is I think a, a big topic. So I want to circle back to Marcus. Um, so Marcus, you when you came out, you know, interestingly, you know, you talked about you didn't. The technology was different, right? Before you went in, there was no internet. You know, now there's an internet. I think we're going through some of that right now in terms of just the transformation with technology. Um, but then, you know, you didn't have technology experience, but you were able to, you know, go through an entrepreneurial experience and then create this idea and launch a company, a tech company. Not only launch the tech company, but then create this Flick shop for Business to train others. So talk a little bit about your funding, investment backing, and that process for you.
5: Um, yeah, so that's an um, awesome question. So we have been bootstrappers, up into this point, um, so we've been able, we've been blessed to be able to have the construction company that we started, you know, years ago that has enabled us to be able to fund Flip Shop up into this point. Um, now that we're rounding up tech and we have a pretty good um, footing on where the direction of the where the company is going to grow, what our growth model looks like, um, you know, and where with, what Flip Shop is going to look like for tomorrow. We're starting to actually open – we're going to be opening up our fundraising round next month. Um, so we'll be inviting investors to come and take a look at uh, our company so that they can join in uh, on the journey for to, you know, help keep our families connected together. In addition to that, uh, we also uh, – we're also going to be planning on having a, – raising a smaller round um, where we'll begin to – we'll, you know, source the, the community together. So for those that, you know, the, the people in the community who really are impacted by this space, as a part of, you know, the finance, the, the FinTech and education um, component of FlickShop and what we want to do for our communities, knowing that the majority of the users of our platform are coming from the under, underserved communities, uh, we want to be able to say, hey, look, let's educate you as well on the process of what it looks like to potentially invest. In um, you know, in small businesses and tech companies, and we're going to be opening up a small round for those investors as well. So we'll have a, a, a larger round for our institutional investors and our VCs, as well as a smaller investment investing round um, uh, for our community as well. And you'll be able to find all of that information uh, on our website. On our website, once we launch at flickshot
4: Marcus, how has PR helped your visibility? As I understand, you've gotten some great press.
5: Yeah. So. You know, it has been awesome. it's been awesome. You know, being able to, to humanize our story. Uh, what's most important for us, you know, while we've been, you know we've had some incredible press to talk about the journey of Flickshop and what it is that we're creating over here with our technology, but what's been big for us is trying to figure out a way to really humanize the story of the people that are coming home from prison. For a lot of families, it's still taboo to have the conversation centered around. My cousin is coming home. My brother is coming home. My husband is coming home. My mother is coming home from prison. Mm-hmm. And, and, because of, and because of the way that we've been socialized to perceive to how, uh, how people that were in these facilities, what they look like, what they sound like, how they talk, how they dress, you know what their aptitude is, and what they're gonna be able to contribute to the community, um, they haven't been on the positive side. And because of a lot of the taboo that surrounds the conversation, we want to figure out a way to uh, to change the energy of it. And so uh, we're excited about using some of that press that you talked about before um, to really to, to, to reshape the way that we look at people that come home from these sales. These people have stories? I'm one of them. Would you want me to be your neighbor? And if not, I'll implore you to dig a little bit deeper. And when you'll read an article and you understand that I'm someone's son, I'm someone's brother, and now I'm someone's husband and father. And... It's okay to have me live next door to you, even with a felony in my chest.
4: You know, it's so interesting. Um, and there are more people like you who are getting out there. Um, I think his name is Shaka Senghor. He's from Detroit. Um, yeah, you know, you know, you know, Shaka. Yeah, he, he's a. He's, yeah, oh, that's my man. I love him. I, I got my D hat. I'm on my way to Detroit uh, this weekend, and I always think about him because he wears the D on his hat everywhere he goes. But um, he's getting, <laughs> he is getting out there, and he's becoming uh, a spokesperson in that space. Have you thought about doing the same? Thing because I saw I saw your TED talk and it was just powerful and I can totally see you doing this.
5: <laughs> no, thank you so much. Uh, you know I've been so laser focused on building great technology, um, and, and we're, we're hoping that the families can really appreciate what we're building on our platform. Uh, where we haven't thought a lot about you know trying to figure out how to be that that figurehead for the movement. Uh, but I am happy to always be one of the ones who are you know the experts and leaders in and reentry and what it could potentially look like to have someone come out of prison and be successful as an entrepreneur.
2: love it. And I think it's also important to remember that what we think that looks like might be really different, right like um, I, we were talking you know in preparation for the show that the number of Latinos for example, in prison has gone up and they're committing more property crimes and more violent crimes. Um, And so, you know, as we think about kind of equality (laughs) along the different spectrums, you know, that's not necessarily a good place to say, oh, look, our numbers are catching up. And it also, I think, speaks to that who is coming back and returning, you know, returning citizens might be really different than what people have in their head. Mm -hmm. Right. I I was um, looking something up yesterday. It said incarceration rates for black women have decreased 31 percent, whereas for white women, they've gone up 47 percent you know, within the first decade of this millennium. So I think it's just really interesting to think about that. And then, of course, Latinas have gone up quite, our percentage of um, rate of incarceration has gone up quite a bit too. So, you know, just kind of thinking about what that means for our communities and what that looks like.
3: And I think that we sometimes get caught up on the incarceration piece or the conviction and the felony piece, which rightfully so, there are huge barriers for that population. But there are also barriers people that are just arrested right if your mug shot is online yeah. um that is a huge yes, huge detriment to what you're able to do and they're monetizing that yes. those websites that have that that's a private company that i think there was a documentary or something i was just looking at but that's an impact you have people sitting in local detention centers who haven't even had their court date yet Mm -hmm. and who may very well be found not guilty but Mm -hmm. have had their whole lives disrupted for six months a year whatever that might look like and so you have those people returning as well that you know don't have the felony conviction but their whole lives have been turned upside down and so it's in embracing all of those people, like I said, with barriers to employment, whether it's the misdemeanor, I was just arrested, or I have the felony conviction, but then when you look at the layers underneath that and the disparities and the impacts of community development, of public health, mm-hmm. and of really just quality of life, it's very, very powerful to, um, for us to keep that in the forefront of our conversations.
1: I agree, yeah. and the big one too is bail, right? Because a lot of people, like you said, get arrested and they're sitting in these holding cells simply because they can't pay, two thousand dollars or more. And I know that there's some entrepreneurs, I think, working on that. I can't, I don't know the exact product or um, initiative, but kind of to that, there's, there's, we, and you mentioned it earlier, Katie. There's a lot of uh, new focus now on the reentry process, and I think we've heard both you and. Marcus entering this from uh, two different perspectives, but doing amazing work. Marcus really focusing on you know, helping families and inmates connect, um, you know, helping to provide uh, career opportunities for uh, inmates, of, uh, formerly incarcerated individuals. You're doing the same thing, really looking at, um, you know, linking them to opportunity and making sure that the health uh, parity is, is there as well. So, I'd just love to hear from both of you guys. and Katie, we can start with you just on some of the things that are going on, again, whether it's locally or nationally that you're really excited about or that you just want to share with our listeners.
3: yeah I think um my thing I think we have the highest impact at the local level. and I'm really excited for the ambition We just had a huge march, you know, this past weekend for march for our lives. But people are becoming more engaged in those local conversations. They're becoming more engaged in Who's on your school board? What yeah. is the curriculum that your children are receiving? Who's your district attorney? Who, you know, how many people are they putting and turning into the detention centers? Or who's on your city council? Are mm-hmm. they advocating for fair and you know equitable mm-hmm. outcomes in housing and in workforce opportunities? And so I'm excited that there's more movement mm-hmm. and there's more groundswell in that front. I really think that it's important for people to show up, show up for their local elections, and really be a well-informed voter um, when it comes to these issues because it's it's heavy hitting at the local level and it's so powerful. And the voice, you know, the voice that especially our youth are having right now is so powerful. And so when you look at reentry, you know, again in that public health context, in public health we look at prevention. Mm-hmm. Everything is about prevention, and then population health, and how can you do the most good and impact the most people with you know the least amount of resources or efforts and the same thing goes with with local involvement in anything so how can you really have that greatest impact on your community members on your neighbors on your family by showing up and you know holding people accountable at the local level oh, great And marcus your thoughts
5: yeah so you know it's interesting I, you know i typically ask people, you know, two questions. One, how many people, how many of you guys have been in a situation where you've gotten in trouble and you actually wanted someone's grace and mercy? Whether or not it it ended up in handcuffs or not. And then the second question I ask is, and the majority of the people, what I've learned is the majority of people's hands go up. The second question I ask is, how many of you would like to be able to contribute and encourage and inspire others to ensure that those that have made that mistake that they can have the opportunity to turn their their lives around and be in, inside of a community that knows and loves them. And the majority of people with hands go up. If, your answer, if the answer is yes to those two questions, then we want you to become a Flick Shop angel. A Flick Shop angel allows you to be able to do one of two things. One, you can either purchase a bunch of Flick Shop credits for family members who cannot afford to be able to Flick Shop and stay connected with their loved ones so you'll be able to help that six-year-old girl who you know wants to send her dad some selfies of her kindergarten graduation by purchasing Flick shop credits for her, or you can send encouraging or inspiring Flick shops to random people anonymously via our FlickShopAngels.com website. Those are two ways that us as a community, as a country, can band together to support the family members of people who are suffering mass incarceration, as well as the people inspiring and encouraging. The one of the 95% of the people who are going to be coming home out of these sales one day. If we have a community that bands together and stays, helps to stay connected and we have an easy way of doing it, we should. It's our social responsibility, and FlickShopAngels.com is giving our community the opportunity to be able to do it. FlickShop is partnering with the community to make it happen, and we want each one of you guys to become angels. It's something that we're really, really excited about. We believe that we can really change the atmosphere in the conversation around mass incarceration.
1: Marcus, I love that, and I think we all need a little grace and mercy once in a while. (laughs) yes we do. And and I I do also want to highlight some of the work that's going on in the D.C. area with Katie Morand and her group, uh, Aspire to Entrepreneur, where they Mm -hmm. take uh, returning citizens and take them through um, career training as well as entrepreneurship, and I think they've had 35 returning citizens complete that program, and they have a 0% recidivism, meaning no one's returned back. Either they are holding down jobs, um, pursuing their business, or running a business. And I think there are about 15 businesses that are running and employing 39 people, so I just wanna give her a shout out as just a, another local person who's doing her work to, to support.
4: So, um where can we find
1: you both on social
4: media? This has been a very enriching conversation. I've learned so much, and now I want to jump in there and help. So, how, in case you know, people are listening in our audience, they want to find you and become an angel. <laughs> 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 how can they find you? Let's start with you, Marcus. How can they find you?
5: Uh, so, all of our social channels are at Flickshop. Flick Shop. is spelled S-L-I-K-S-H-O-P. Uh, So that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, If you want to become, if you're interested in Slick Shop Angels or have any questions about the program, please visit us at SlickShopAngels.com. That's F-L-I-K-S-H-O-P-Angels.com. We're more than happy to have a conversation with all of you guys. We want the community to be able to band together and really create change.
3: And Katie? Yeah, so in true startup nature, we are um, figuring out our lives and branding. And so the best way to keep in touch would be like on my personal handles right now. So on Twitter, I'm Katie, K-A-T-I-E-L, Nova, N-O-V-A. Um, same on Instagram. I'm trying to do better at document- documenting the process and documenting the journey. Um, and then also on LinkedIn. And then we will eventually be coordinating all social media through one zero model account. Right now, that's zero model, Z-E-R-O-M-O-D-E-L underscore on Twitter. And then on the web, you can find us at o8 8 eighht 3 org.
4: Thank you both for being on the show. So today, you know, the takeaway was there's life after a setback, whether you're in You've been incarcerated, whether you've had an illness, there's life after setback. And we just learned from two excellent entrepreneurs who talked about this. And Marcus, you know, he left prison, he became an entrepreneur, and he talked about how hard that journey was. But he's making it. He's doing it. And he's doing it through his three lifelines that keeps him um Anchored in, you know, uh, stand stand true to the cause. And that's through connection, mentorship, and be the best that you can be. Another thing that we learned today is to learn patience and attach yourself to good mentors and get the money. Learn to live to get the money. And that's part of that journey of entrepreneurship and learning how to use the technology and the programs that are out there like tech stars and um zero a three the vision is opportunity and that's another key phrase that i learned today and i hope you did too and we want to envision our opportunity by being able to get over these barriers and the barriers in this discussion was about you know the you know have get, having gainful employment zoning um having problems just you know you know, staying healthy. And those are the type of barriers that we need to overcome and we need to learn how to not to quit and not give up. And one thing that I'm taking away from this as a PR person is that we need to start pushing the media to humanize people coming out of prison it is unfair not to give them a second chance and that we need to help more people like Marcus and programs that Katie is starting to, you know, get the word out and tell citizens out there to support these type of initiatives. And the final thing, and we brought this up because of the March um, that happened this weekend on gun control um, to show up on your local level. Um, when you look at every entry, how can you do the most good with the least amount of resources? And one of those resources you can use is showing up, voting, talking to your, you know, your local constituencies, thinking about and telling others to help jump in in this process. So make sure you show up and use the resources that you have in order to make a huge impact. Thank you everyone for joining us today. You can find us on our website giftfoundgifunded.com. We can be uh, we're also on Twitter at underscore Funded or on Instagram giffound_giffunded. Thank you again for joining us.